going to ask you to open your Bible this morning. We're going to be going all over in the Bible today. So the, um, this will not be our primary text, but I want to start off with Colossians chapter 2, particularly verse 8. Colossians 2, 8. The Word of God reads, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Today, many who profess Christ have been taken captive by the elementary, elementary principles of the world. As a matter of fact, what that word elementary means is kind of the ABCs, the infantile type of teachings, right? The elementary, elementary principles of the world and not by Christ. When Paul wrote this epistle to the Colossians, a church that was founded there in Colossae, he was warning them. He said, listen, others are going to come. Others are going to come with other ideas, other principles, but don't fall prey to them. Don't fall prey to the pagans around you in their simple worship and what they're doing and their pervasive arguments. Stay true. Stay fixed. Stay focused on the only gospel that has the power to save. Now, that's a message that goes out to the church in the world today. Stay true, stay fixed, stay focused on the only gospel that has the power to save. And if you look over in Colossians 2.18, he writes, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. And I want to focus your attention there into that word defrauded. What it simply means is to deprive, but it goes beyond depriving. It refers to discouraging or misleading. That's really what it is. So it's like being conned, right? If you go, if you meet a con artist, right, he's going to tell you that there is a certain value here, and this value is worth X amount of money, and so you see the value, you pay the money, but then what happens? He conned you, he defrauded you, he robbed you, because what he made you invest in was worth nothing. That's the basic idea that Paul is conveying here. Be on guard. Don't be defrauded. Don't be misled. Don't be conned by the people that are out there. And they're coming to you with their elementary, their ABCs of religion. But it is a diversion from the one true gospel. Remember what Paul said, if anybody, if whether me or a person or an angel comes to, comes to you with another gospel, he said, let him be accursed. And the word in the Greek there is anathema. And what it literally means is let him be damned. Let him be damned to hell if he were to come to you with another gospel. Now you say to me, well, pastor, what other gospel are you talking about? In church, I submit to you that many have been defrauded of Christ. He has been be replaced by other things. The gospel of Christ has been 
replaced with the gospel according to me. Me. Satisfy me. Please me. I have my rights. We're being told by many to find our pleasure in this life, not within Christ. The gospel of self-esteem, the gospel of self-satisfaction, the gospel of self-contentment has replaced the glorious gospel of grace. And the glory of God, and this is where I want to focus today, the glory of God has been replaced with the glory of self. The Holy Spirit has been replaced by technique and process. We are getting to a place in the church where I'm not sure we believe the supernatural, almighty, omniscient, omnipotent God we read about in the Scriptures. So church, what I want to do today is let's go back to the basics. Let's look at what the Lord God says about such things. Let's rediscover the God of the Bible. Have you seen a theme that has been running over the last few months? We've been talking about the pursuit of God, finding our passion in God, our pleasure in God. But now we have to go back to the God in whom we believe. And come to him in in complete surrender and discover, rediscover perhaps, the glory of God. So the text that we're going to be using for today is Isaiah 40. So turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 40. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 18 through 31. Isaiah 40, verses 18 through 31. And in order to get started, we, you know, it's important we understand the term, the glory of God. It's thrown about very often in the church, but what does that actually mean? When we use that term, we're referring specifically to the honor, the reverence, the adoration, the awe of God. It is rendering to God that which is due. Reverence, adoration, and glory. When we talk about the glory of God within that context, that's exactly what we are talking about. We're going to render to him that which is due him. As the great pastor and theologian Norman Geisler has stated, God is awesome and God should be responded with awe. Now I want want you to stop and think for a moment. Right? Especially if you've been in the church for a long time. We can doctrinally define God We can doctrinally define his attributes. We can doctrinally define many facets of God. We can talk about the Godhead. We can talk about the triunity of Christ. We can do this all from a doctrinal perspective. But do we really or are we really in the place where we are in awe of God? In awe. The tragic thing has unfolded in Christianity whereby impersonalizing God 
We have lowered him to the mere semblance of a man. And we have raised human beings, the creature, to the position of a God. No longer do we think of God as being awesome, almighty, all-powerful, worthy of our full obedience and submission. But rather, God is there to serve us, to take away all unpleasantness, to provide for us, to rescue us from difficulty. Our universe has become clouded. Scales have formed on our eyes. And the transcendent almighty God, the one who parted the Red Seas, the one who spoke the worlds into creation, just by his word, he was able to do that. Well, we kind of think that, well, he doesn't do that today. And that was then. But he doesn't do that now. God is no longer awesome. But rather another tool in our toolbox to live an awesome life. The focus of the here and now. I like the poem. You've heard me reference this. C.T. Stubb wrote that poem. Um, Only one life so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ shall last. You know, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? That's what the Bible says, right? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're all going to stand and give an account for our lives. Now, as believers, we're not going to give an account in fear that we're going to lose our salvation, but we are going to give an account in terms of what have we done with the gospel? What did we do to advance the kingdom of God on earth? And if that day were today, if one hour from now, you stood before the Lord of glory, what account would you render to God? That's a fair question, right? I think it's a fair question for all to answer. A.W. Tozer says this, God acts only for his glory, whatever comes from him, must be of his own high honor. Any doctrine, any experience that's, uh, that services to magnify him is likely to be inspired by him. Hey, man, how you doing? Conversely, anything that veils his glory or makes him appear less wonderful is sure to be of the flesh. Let me share something with you. I'm just going to share this. Um... And, it, and it's, prov- it's, it's proving out today. I, w- I was up early, 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 early this morning. And I was sharing with Janet and Ricky when I got here first thing this morning. I was sharing with them that this morning, as I was pulling this together, there was nothing but adversity that was coming against me. Nothing. I, as a matter of fact, the illustration, did I not say it was like, God was in one ear and the devil was in the other ear. You know, that famous cartoon and they're both chirping at the same time and you're being pulled back and forth, right? And one of the reasons I believe that is is because anytime we talk about the glory of God and the worth of God and the merit of God, Satan seeks to stir. He's been stirring this morning. You see in all the various technology problems. Now, I'm not... I'm not the guy who sees a demon behind every rock, but it just seems awfully uncanny 
how everything is just a continuum of this morning. So I'm asking you as you're listening to the message, also be in prayer that the enemy would not interfere. Amen. When we exchange the glory of our great God for something less, we in effect are being defrauded. We are defrauding ourselves. We are robbing ourselves of the fullness of God. Now I'm going to submit something to you. As believers, we can totally experience the manifest presence of God. We can come together and experience some of His fullness and experience His glory. We can render to Him that which is due. You know, one of the things that is due, coming to church on Sunday and worshiping God corporately, that is something that is due. We come to church Church is not about us. That's the first thing we got we to gotta clear up. It's not about me. Church is about the corporate worship of God. That's what church is about. That is paramount. That is first. That is foremost. We come to worship the living God. And that should get your juices flowing. Not the Not the music. Not the fellowship, that's all good stuff. But to come together corporately with my brothers and sisters, with those that are saved, sanctified, and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, because the church is a foretaste of heaven. What are we going to do in heaven? You think Sunday's going to roll around in heaven? They're going to say, there ain't no church. I got news for you. Every day is Sunday. There's no more Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we're going to come in the presence and be with other believers and stand before the throne of God and give Him glory and give Him honor and give Him praise and worship Him. If we don't like this on earth, how in the world are we going to like this in heaven? You know, Israel struggled with this. At many times in their journey, they felt overwhelmed because they had not trusted in God Almighty. And in the text that we're going to look at in Isaiah 40, verses 18 to 31, the prophet Isaiah addresses three questions to Israel that we must ask ourselves today. What are those questions? The first one is, to whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him? And here he addresses our wrongful attitudes regarding the majesty and the glory of God. The second is, do you not know? Have you not heard? And here he addresses the wrongful thoughts about ourselves. And lastly, he asks, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. And he addresses our slowness to believe in the God of glory. Let's take a look at the text. Verses 18 to 20. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it, goldsmith plates it with gold, a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. 
Here the prophet addresses the wrongful attitudes within Israel regarding the majesty and the glory of God. And he asks a very interesting question. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him with? Israel was always throughout their history dabbling in the gods of their enemies. Sometimes they adopted practices and the customs of the enemies around them. In Isaiah verses 19 and 20, uh, verse 40, 19, uh, chapter 40, 19 and 20, he addresses one of those such areas, which is idolatry. Idolatry. The worshiping of idols or the worshiping of things. And he points out the futility of trying to portray the immensity of God in the form of a man-made idol. In Isaiah 46, 5, he asks the same question, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? And that is the question that God asks the church today. To whom will you liken me? To whom will you compare me? And the truth of the matter is, is there is no comparison. I, I, I really get nuts when I hear good men of God, even wise men of God, begin to represent God and say, well, God is like this. And he fits in that box. And they have defined the borders and the boundaries of God. How dare we? How dare we try to to box in God, to say that God operates only this way and he does this, that, and the other thing. Now, I'm not an open theist, and I believe in the doctrine of God as set forth in the Christian faith and put out there. But we must always remember that which is revealed about God is but a mere speck of the enormity and the infiniteness of who God is. I think when we go to heaven, we're going to be awfully surprised at what we thought we knew that wasn't true and what we didn't know that we're going to see to be true. We must guard our hearts against forming God and fashioning God. And please don't do this. Please don't do this. Don't use human analogies for God. Don't say, well, God's a father, and I'm a father, and I would never do this, therefore God would never do that. Baloney! God is not a man. God is not a man that we should compare him to. God is higher than we are. His ways are loftier than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As a matter of fact, we can never know the fullness of who God is. And I honestly believe that when we go to glory, when the end of the age has come, where we're spending eternity with the Holy One, He is going to be surprising us every day with His vastness and His enormity. And even in heaven, we are going to be dumbfounded and in awe of who God is. Another thing I want to point out here, I have mentioned to you that Israel was always dabbling in. They were always dabbling in the gods around them. They would build other idols. But idolatry is not merely building an idol. It is worshiping and replacing God with anything else in your life. Things can be idols. And we live in a society that is overwhelmed with the acquisition of stuff drive around orlando how many storage places are they do we need more 
Really, do we need more? Are we so out of control that we have houses to put things in, but then we got to rent space someplace else to put stuff that we never use anyway? It's insanity. The acquisition, the... The, the, uh, the acquisition of things, the worship of things. We're coming up on the, on the Christmas season. What is it about Christ? Not even in the least bit. What does it kick off with? Black Friday. When I was a kid, Black Friday used to be the day after Thanksgiving. Now Black Friday, you have pre-Black Friday sales. You have them in October. Well, you know, Black Friday prices are rolling up right now, right? Get them into the store. Buy, 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 acquire, acquire, acquire. Choir. That's rolled into the church. Many Christians succumbing to things. At the heart of idolatry, at the heart of it, is unbelief. Unbelief to the one true God. The inability to take God at His word. When we do not believe that God is who He said He is, that God deserves all of our heart, mind, and soul, when we do not render to Him that which is due Him, we have made the perfect greeting ground for idolatry. Because some, you know what? Something else will come in. Something else will come. Church, do we know, are we convinced that we serve an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-glorious God, the God who spoke the worlds into creation, the God who knows every thought, every intent, every, every spoken word, who formed you in your mother's womb, who knew you before the foundations of time? If you profess belief in Christ that he chose you before the foundation of the world, that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world, who dwells in unapproachable splendor but has redeemed you through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. Who were you? Who were you that God should reveal himself to you and save you? If that is not glorious enough, I don't know what is. Why would God save me? Who was I? I was no one of noble. I was, had an ignominious birth. I was a no one from nowhereville. Who am I that God should come in and save me? Oh, the glory of God, the magnificence of God, the beauty of God. That in, our, in and of itself should bring us to our knees and cause us to say, Oh God, thou art worthy, worthy, worthy are you, oh God. Listen to the, what the word of God says. Exodus 15, 11, who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Deuteronomy 3, 24, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness, thy strong hand, for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as thine? Romans eleven thirty four. we just did this Tuesday night. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Church, what a great and a glorious God we serve. And church, let us turn to him today. Let us repent of the other idols we have in our hearts and embrace only him. Are you struggling thinking of what it will cost you? Here's the bulletin. It will cost you everything. 
And when you discover the glory of God, you know what? You'll pay it. You'll pay it. But I'll tell you what, all that you've been searching for, all the satisfaction you've been looking for in your pleasures, in the acquisition of things, none of that will compare to coming to know the beauty, the honor, and the glory of the one true God. Look with me at verses 21 through 26. Here's the second question. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the vault of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely they have planted, scarcely they have sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither. Yes, sir. And the storm carries them like stubble. Mm-hmm. Here the prophet addresses wrongful thoughts about ourselves. We live in a world right now that is fraught with fear, is it not? We have this virus going around. It's taking lives. We have wickedness that pervades the land. It's pervading our government. Yes, sir. The adversary seems to be advancing on every front. Isn't that the case? Every day you put on the news, and if you're a social media person, I'm sure you're putting on your social media... And didn't you hear this? And, and what about this? And look at this video on YouTube and blah, 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 blah. Yes, That's right, Jakey. And there is this thing. There is a, I don't know what it is, but there is a momentum of darkness that is befalling, by the way, the world. It's not unique to the United States. It's the world. Listen, even the unbelievers are saying something is wrong. Something is wrong. The unbelievers are crying that out. And many believers are at uh, unease at what they see transpiring. Yet here's here's the truth. Yet we're not to despair. Listen, it is sinful. I want you to think about this for a moment. It is sinful to take a position or to believe that God has abandoned his elect. No way. God does not never abandon. Then the words of Jesus were a lie. I shall never leave thee nor forsake thee. That would all be a lie. God never abandons us. God is with us. He is with us in the good. He is with us in the bad. He is with us in health. He is with us in sickness. He is with us in poverty. He's with us in richness. God is always with us. And he is with us in life. And he is with us in death. God never abandoned anyone, and he will never abandon those he loved. But in these verses, Isaiah the prophet encourages Israel, not by telling them they will have deliverance from all these things. That seems to be a swing in the church. Come to God. Come to Christ. By the way, he's going to give you everything you always wanted. You're never going to have anything unpleasant. As a matter of fact, that's one of the ill effects of the gospel according to me. 
Because with the gospel, according to me, you get disillusioned. Well, why did I get cancer? Why is this going wrong? I don't understand. Why did I lose my job? Why am I broke? Why can't I pay, can't pay the bills? Because someone told you along the line that if you come to Christ, all those problems will go away. But that's not the true gospel. The true gospel is God is going to give you the grace to overcome and he's going to give you the grace to persevere and he's going to give you the grace to continue to go forward, to continue to go forward. Why? For the glory of his name, that you would glorify him, that in trial and tribulation, in situations where you're barely holding on, you do indeed hold on. And God is glorified when people say, brother, sister, how did you endure? And you testify to the glory of God. Look at verse 22. Don't you know after he asked this great question, have you not heard? Speaking of God, it is he who sits above the vault of the earth. And I love this. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. All the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers. Look at verse 23. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes judges of the earth meaningless. Here's a good question. It is God who reduces rulers to nothing. Where's Hitler? Where's Napoleon? Where is Castro? Where is Saddam Hussein? Where's Osama bin Laden? Where's Pol Pot? Where's Al Capone? Where's all the others? Where are they? They are a blip in eternity, a blip in history. And it is God Almighty who reduces them. So why fret at what we see going on today? Do we honestly think that this administration, I don't care what your position is, but do we honestly think that the things that we're seeing going on in this that these people control our destiny? No, they're a grasshopper to God. As a matter of fact, look at the end of verse 24. But he merely blows on them and they wither. Oh, church, this is the God who we serve. This is the God who we serve. When we come to give worship, we are coming to give worship to that God. We are coming to give worship to this God. He looks down from the heavens and he merely blows and they wither. Yes, sir. So many in the churches are fearing laws that are being passed and everything else. Listen, God will give us the grace, will he not? Has not God given the grace to every believer to endure and to persevere, even if it meant their own suffering and their own death? He is the supreme judge. It is God who is enthroned in heaven. Man, Nebuchadnezzar knew this. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar chapter 4. Oh, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. Listen to the words of Nebuchadnezzar who stood on his balcony and overlooked Babylon and said, I really am special after all. Mom was right. Listen to his words after God took him down, made him crawl in the field like an animal. But look what he says in verse 35. Speaking of God. And all the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will 
in the host of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one, underline no one, no one, no one could ward off his hand. Nobody could. Nobody could stay his hand from moving. And there is no one who could accuse God and say, what hast thou done? The world is full of accusers. If there's a God, why is there so much uh, suffering in the world? If there's a God, blah, 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 blah. You know, prove it to me. No, prove you to him. Look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. You ever want to see the glory of God? Go out at night on a cold winter night and look up at the sky and know that your God spoke all of those things into existence by his will. He named them all by name. We like to hear the scientists say, oh boy, we just found this exoplanet and we named it, you know, XBYZU. Well, guess what? God has a name for it and that's not the name. And God did it all for his glory. And when you see the sunrise in the morning, God did it all for his glory. And when you go to the doctor and he tells you you're doing well and your heart's beating, your lungs are breathing and your legs are moving and your brain is thinking, he did that for his own glory. As a matter of fact, as human beings, we are the image bearers of God. How mighty, how awesome, how glorious, how spectacular, how wonderful, how wise, how omnipotent, how omniscient is our God. Oh, church, lift up our eyes, oh, church. See the one who created these things. This is the reminder of the church. Realize who it is in whom you have believed. We worship the one true living God. Listen, the one true living God. Don't ever say to a person, I believe in God. Say, I believe in the only true living God. we got to get these wrong thoughts of God out of our mind. Listen, can I tell you something? Our God still parts the waters. Our God still heals the sick. Our God still rules this world and the universe. Our God still controls world events. Our God still saves sinners. Our God is still glorious. Our God is still supernatural. Our God is awesome. Our God is marvelous. Our God still is sovereign. Our God is still merciful. Our God still brings revival. Our God is not limited. Our God allows himself to be found by those who seek him. Our God is real. Our God is personal. Our God is glorious. Our God is infinite. Our God satisfies and is unequal in satisfaction. Don't be defrauded, church. Please. Don't be defrauded. Do not allow anyone or anything to rob you of your prize. Believe in God. Trust in God. Come to Him through the blood of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Cry out to God for mercy by way of the cross and run to Him. Yes, run to Him and find salvation in God. And God alone. 
Lastly, verse 31. I'm sorry. Verse 28, I'm sorry. Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become tired nor grow weary? There is no searching of his understanding. These verses rebuke our slowness to believe God. Simply put, the prophet speaking for God asked the question, do you believe that I have slowed up with time? That I am too old? That I have my limits? Is this your view of me, the living God? This is what he would say to Israel. Oh, church, this is a rebuke right here. The doctrinally orthodox in us would never utter such a statement. But we entertain such a thought. Oh, God, where are you? Or God used to move in such and such a time, but he does not do that today. God forbid. Verse 28, he is the everlasting God. Notice that. The everlasting God. The Lord, Yahweh. The creator of the ends of the earth. Look at that title for himself. That's God. If you're a believer in Christ, that's who you worship. Let that settle in on you. Yahweh. The everlasting. The creator of the ends of the earth. And notice what it says about him. Does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases in power. God is limitless. There are no bounds. He doesn't know bounds. He doesn't know limitation. The source of everything that ever was knows not any kind of limitation. He does not become exhausted He doesn't become weary or overwhelmed. Verse 29 says it clearly. It is God. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. God is the source. God is the source of our strength. God is the source of our joy. God is the source of our peace. God is the source of our fullness. God is the source of our contentment. Many conflicts in life arise as we try to find another source, as we try to seek satisfaction in something else rather than in the person of God. Are you lacking in strength, lacking in wisdom or understanding? Go to God. But you must come in faith, right? James says in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask of God, but let him ask in faith, without doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. I think there's many in the church that doubt. You know, we look at the glory of God. I love this saying. R.C. Sproul makes this statement that I think is just phenomenal. He says, any good theology begins and ends with doxology. Meaning it begins with praise and it ends with praise. The deep things of God as we pursue God, they begin with praise and they end with praise. And in going through this, I see the same thing. As we study and we look at the vastness of who God is, as we rediscover the glory of God, as we attribute to Him the honor, the awe, the reverence, the splendor that is due Him, we must get to a point where through doxology, we go, oh God, I praise Thee, mighty three in one, for who you are. But the problem with many today is they do not go to God. They do not ask of God. As believers, we are to to ask big things of God and attempt big things for God, as William Carey once said. One of the reasons that if you run to God and attempting things for God, it's that we do not believe that God will respond. Because we're an instant generation. God, I asked you twice, what are you doing? Why are you not responding? And we leave it there. This is the rebuke of the prophet Isaiah, and this is a rebuke that is needed for the contemporary church, that God would shame us, he would shame us out of our unbelief, that we could rest in the knowledge of who he is, we could rest in the person in who he is. Oh, church, that we would be released from our slowness to believe. We have a biblical record. We have seen the things that God has done in our lives. Who has seen something great that God has done in their life? Maybe one thing. Who has seen it? Amen. And those things should not be forgotten. Those things should be apprehended. Their testimonies when the glory of God revealed himself to us and rescued us. In time of need. But is it to the point now that we're no longer in awe of our own salvation, our own redemption, our own new birth? Remember Israel? When they went into the wilderness... They murmured ten times. What preceded every one of those ten murmurings? It was another miracle of God. Oh Lord, there that cloud of smoke is coming. Here comes the entire Egyptian army. And what are we going to do? We can't walk on water, can we? Oh, we would have been better to to die like slaves in Egypt. You know what? That's That's the... That's the battle in the believer's life. Like when things go wrong, we want to go back to Egypt. It better be a slave in Egypt than to die like a dead dog out here. And God had one man. One man. Who had the courage to stand up and say, Behold the salvation of the Lord. Now imagine that. Listen, 
If I, well, I, I don't want to say that. I was going to say if I was there, but I'd be just like the rest of the Israelis. So, no. But here's the thing. If we walked out of here today and went down to Cocoa Beach and the waters parted and we walked across on dry land, I guarantee you next Sunday in church I'm going to testify about that. <laughs> I walked across on dry land, man. I made it all the way across. That wouldn't be lost on me. And what happened in Israel after they got to the other side and they saw, you know, they saw the Egyptians coming into the water and then whoosh. Oh, they wrote songs. They danced. Oh, the Lord God is my God. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Hallelujah. Who, what God is like our God. Oh, we got Jehovah. Until the next obstacle. And then it was, oh God, why are you allowing this to happen? And you know the rest of the story. They tempted God ten times. The writer of Hebrews says, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as your fathers did in the wilderness. And they tempted me ten times and I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And by the way, I'm one of the people who believe that rest is an Old Testament typology for salvation. Amen. So just get this picture. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't tempt God like they did. They didn't enter my rest, except who? Joshua and Caleb and their families. That means there couldn't have been, there could have been a million and a half to as much as they estimate maybe three million that died in the wilderness and their bodies became food for birds. We must be as the Apostle Paul who wrote in 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Notice what Paul says. He suffered those things. For what reason? But I am not ashamed for I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced, I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. Are you persuaded? Do you know in whom you have believed? Are you holding fast and saying, Lord, although the day may darken, the day may darken, things may get worse. Lord, I am holding. Lord, I am holding to you. And Lord, I am not going to let go. Look at verse 31. You all know this verse. You got to know this verse, right? They make t-shirts about this verse in mugs. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain a new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will not walk and not become weary. 
Some of us in this church are waiting upon the Lord. We're waiting upon the Lord. We're beseeching the Lord. We're believing that God is going to do a work of revival in the hearts of his people and in his church. And we are believing that God for that move, for we are believing God for that work. And we're crying for God for that work precisely. We're believing God. Father, you're going to do it. We're going to hold you. And Lord, if I leave this earth and you didn't do it, I'm still holding to the fact that you will do it. God because it's his will and we are hastening the day that will cause God will cause us to mount up with wings like eagles listen do me a favor never give this verse to an unbeliever because it's not for an unbeliever you want to encourage a brother or sister in the Lord you can give them this verse Because what he is saying, your way is not hidden from God. He knows. And if you hold fast to that, it is God who will give you strength. It is God that will increase your might. It is God, even though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not grow weary. Do you know how many times since the inception of this church I have had to hold on despite what I see? Do you know how many times despite adversity that many of you have held on to God despite what you have seen although life testifies against you although circumstance testify against you yet it is to God it is to Christ that you come back to and it's the only thing that you can cling to and let me share something with you and when you do that God is glorified Westminster Confession's first article says this, the chief aim of man is to glorify God. And it doesn't end there. And to enjoy Him forever. I'm down with that. Do you enjoy God? Or is God this arduous thing that you have to get done all I gotta go to church today. Oh, this prayer meeting. Is, is, is that the extent of the relationship? Or are you like, yeah, I love God. I enjoy God. Oh, I want to be with God. Oh, God, fill me with your presence and enter in. We started off by quoting Paul and speaking of not being defrauded of your prize. Let me ask you something of what we heard is that your experience? If there are impediments that are hindering you from experiencing the glory of God in your life, let them go. What have those things gotten you so far? We spoke today about a God that you do not often hear spoken of Oh, church, now is the time to repent and be released from those limitations. A.W. Tozer said this, Unfortunately, many Christians settle for less than God-conscious, the manifest presence in their daily walk. There is a strain of loneliness infecting many Christians which only the presence of God can cure. God's face 
His realized, manifested, and personal presence may be the treasure of all God's people. May we hold to that. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you, Lord, on this day, Lord, we thank you and praise you for your many, many, many blessings. And Father, may you kindle in us the glory of God. May our hearts turn to you and may our hearts burn for you and may our hearts be inclined for you, O God. And Father, Lord God, that we would be a people that know our God and are known by him. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.